This podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. Are we not the bestest of friends already? Only in media. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the only podcast that promises to never be nice to anybody. That's right. It's time to do some stargazing, and we've got a special deadline edition bringing out the big guns. Mark, as always, as usual, I guess, and Taylor as well, ready to talk a little bit of deadline musings, guys? Uh, let's do it. We have a trade. We have potential trade. Isn't that the old news noise that you make? It is. It is. I'm only only I'm the only person who's heard that it live. <laughs> Don't say that, Mark. You're ex- I know. Let's you, you bring, bring experience to the podcast. I know. Let's bring in Taylor so we have some sanity here. That's right. Taylor, how are you doing this evening? I don't know how sane I'm going to be because I uh, happened to be in Las Vegas for that that recent win that Dallas had. So we'll see if uh, the Vegas flu flares up here. <laughs> And and sadly, with the way that the stars have been playing recently, you don't have to be much more specific than that recent Dallas win to uh, really make a statement about the team. So where, where do you we we have trade that we obviously are going to talk about? We're going to talk a little bit about the state of the stars because you know they they've been playing games. Uh, I guess whether we want them to or not, given how they're playing those games, but we probably want to talk about recent performances and and what's been going on on the ice. Would you would you guys prefer to start there or prefer to start with the trade? Let's start with the game. Um, start. I, I, the game. I would say I, I I'm feeling very justified because I saw that Radic Foxa started in the three on three. Um, he did leave the ice fairly quickly, but on the other hand, what I've said all along is that the Stars need to make it to the shootout. And if they make it to the shootout, they are going to win. And that's exactly what happened. And not Stars, just that. It happened for the yeah. third time. The third time this month, Dallas was able to win a shootout following uh, An- uh, Anaheim on the 6th. Minnesota. Oh, no, no. Sorry, they lost to Minnesota. I take that back. They've, they're 2-1 and one in the shootout this month. Yeah, but, I mean, you, you have Pavelski. You have Robertson. You have Sagan. I, supposedly, if you if, if you follow the uh, the statistics, Hintz was the worst choice that the stars ab- uh, could could have made to put in the shootout, and he went five hole and just just blew him away. So the the stars, if they make it to the shootout, will win a game. If they lose it, it's going to be in the three on three. And and I think we saw probably why that happened with the first play of the game, or, or the first play of the overtime. There was a play Pavelski got into a into a race. And he lost it. He gave up a quality chance. And that's exactly why the Stars lose in round three. Yeah, no, and, and I'll use this to bring you in, Taylor, because Mark and I have have talked in recent podcasts about Dallas and their struggles in the extra frame and, and all of that. And yes, we know that it doesn't necessarily matter in terms of the playoffs because, hey, good news, no three-on-three in the playoffs. But I would love your take on what is it about this team, if anything, that has caused them to struggle so mightily in the in the bonus hockey this season? I think it's probably a combination of personnel choices and speed. And by speed, I mean a lack thereof. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the games that they have gone to overtime in, the oppo- opposing teams have better depth in terms of speedy wingers 
And I think that helps in the three-on-three overtime when there's so much ice. And then I think there's also been just some really questionable, like, overtime. No, like, no offense to anyone intended, but... No, 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 Taylor. We've, we've been instructed from on high that we're supposed to be offensive. And we're supposed to be mean and make fun of the players. True. But, I mean, you know, and I, and I understand the impetus behind it, but I don't think that you should have the likes of Ryan Cedar playing in your overtime. Between Haskinen and Nils Lundqvist, I would even say Colin Miller above the him, and I would even argue Issa Lindell if you're concerned about the chances against. I, I just don't, I don't see why <laughs> you ever need to go past, like, your four um, in the 3-on-3 overtime. And maybe this just me not understanding, you know, how taxing the 3-on-3 can be. But I just feel like you should be able to pretty much roll Haskin in out there <laughs> every other shift. Yeah, and, and it certainly... <laughs> That's interesting to me because you're right. I do wonder what realistically the effort burden is on shortening the bench like that. And, and you know, it's certainly given the, the time that he plays in games anyways, it feels like adding another two or three minutes worth of skating onto Haskins odometer in an overtime game wouldn't be the craziest thing. I wonder if there's a personality management aspect to it. You know, you're Pete DeBoer. Is it really given given that this doesn't matter in the postseason, right? And given that, that yes, it'd be nice to have a couple more points here and there, but it, it hasn't really manifested as an extreme negative in the standings yet for the Stars this season. I wonder, and, I, and obviously this is pure projection. I have no personal knowledge of any of these people, but I do wonder if part of the calculus is if I turf players in three-on-three, how does that harm the motivation or the relationship? You know, guys that you're going to need five on five. If you just say, well, you just don't get to play in overtime because you suck at it. Is, is that necessarily a road a coach can go down when they're going to have to play important roles over the course of the entire season, you know? Sure. And at the start of the season, great motivation, great theory, probably would even argue that it's probably solid asset management to do that. But after you've lost this many overtimes, I kind of feel like the guys will say, you know what? We get it. (laughs) Give us the best possible opportunity to win one of these and just stop the narrative already. Maybe that's just wishful thinking as me and the media, because I know the number of times that Pete DeBoer has told us that he is tired of talking about overtime or the failing power play because we ask about it basically every day. Well, I mean, I wonder if part of it as well as of, of when you're talking about the power play and overtime, one of those two things really truly matters in the big picture. And yeah, I could, I could see, I don't know. It's, it's just such an, I, I agree with you on the athleticism thing. That's a point that we've, we've raised a lot. And just the way that the stars skill is distributed doesn't lend itself to the open ice. I, you know, I, I just wonder, I wonder what it would be. It would be interesting to see the stars attempt that and say, okay, let's just really shorten the bench. And who are the guys that absolutely can play in the extra, you know, with the, with the open eyes, like what would be, and Mark, we'll bring you, we'll bring you into this as well. If you want to opine, but Taylor, what would your, sorry, how few players do you think that you could get away with in your kind of, you know, run of the mill standard NHL three on three overtime? What is, what does your kind of roster and bench look like? I mean, I think the guys I'd be putting out there consistently would be Robertson hints. Sagan still has speed. 
think Pavelski still has a lot of value at three on three. Yeah, because even if, even if, especially, you know, Pavelski is Witten Sagan as well, even if it's not necessarily foot speed, there's certainly that, that speed of thought and speed of movement, exactly. you know, like they can keep up. Yeah. And then I think it's the four defensemen I talked about earlier. And, and I mean, I, I can't, I don't know. I, I, you know, somewhere in along the line, the conversation turned to, well, we're not winning those opening faceoffs. So we're not <laughs> winning puck possession in overtime. And that's been the problem. And I'm sitting here going, well, Rupe Hintz is probably one of the best two-way forwards that I've seen play in the league. And if you're concerned about him being able to to catch, you know, the opposition, then I, I don't know what that says about the rest of this. Yeah, what are we even doing here? I don't think Hintz, Hintz is the problem. I mean, I, I will stick with it. I will stick with just, you know, the players that you named. The top-end talent of the Dallas Stars is... Speed is not their major asset. You talk about Pavelski, you talk about Robertson. If they're going to go out and do what they need to do to be successful in three-on-three, they need to stay between themselves and the net. And that doesn't allow them to be successful on the offensive end. And so the best we're going to do is trade chances because if if they take a chance and they go hard to the net on the other end, they're going to find themselves giving up odd man rushes going the other way. And there isn't anybody really out there who's going to be able to get ahead of the play and then catch up back to the play in order to even things out. Yeah. And I think that's what's bitten the stars so far is they, they, they take their chance and they don't score. And then all of a sudden they're giving it up and, and, and the pucks in the net and then it's over. Miro Heskinen says hello. Well, and Miro, Miro still, I think, is, Miro is, is, back, is the exception a, to the rule. Yeah. But to your point, Mark, even if even if Miro is out there and get when he gets back, it's still an odd man because the the point about Pavelski and Robertson is is well taken, and that it's it's not just that one of them isn't going to make it back into the play; it's they commit to the attack and they're both out of the defense. And so you're either left with if it's Miro, you know, you at least have one defender back. But in instances when it's not, you're giving up even better chances because of the you know. The kind of foot speed issue. Even Sagan is, you know, he's not slow, but he's not fast. I don't know. Maybe I'm just in a different realm as you guys, but I would rather watch them trade chances back and forth and try to shorten the ice and move the puck around without like really realistically making any kind of threat towards offense. So, so Taylor, actually, for what it's worth, I agree with you completely. And I think that this team needs to lean into the notion of instead of of try it's almost they need to go anti-bonus hockey and that the the overtime for this particular roster should be built around the notion of we're going to get a really good chance and if we mess it up we're probably going to lose the game so we better make our really good chance matter and i think that's probably a better path to success given this roster but i think it's also prone to high variability right because if they don't convert then it's you know what i mean like they they're going to be trading premium chances and i think they should probably at least more than they do um because versus you know running fox out there and trying to shuttle players on the fly all i know is if your contention is that three on three doesn't matter come playoff time then you know what play like it in the regular season Give me, give me odd man rushes against as long as you generate the same going the other way. That overtime against Vegas was one of the most thrilling overtimes I think we've seen in a long, long time. And I think part of it was because Dallas 
was taking their chances going the other direction. And if not for an absurdly phenomenal windmill kick save by the opposing goaltender, that game ends in yep. overtime. It never gets to a shootout. Yeah, and I, I mean, it was, it was certainly much more entertaining than anything that we've seen up to up to this point. And, and the only caveat I throw out there is that Stars have been consistently losing that three-on-three battle where they're giving up chances or just really losing right off the bat. And so I'm just going to throw my hat in there and say, if they can make it to if they can make it to the shootout, they have an advantage. And yeah. So far, with so far we've seen three-on-three, three, they they don't. But I don't want to see it ground out to that. You know what? No. Don't give me that. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm saying, the shootouts don't matter in the playoffs either. So if yep. you're telling me well and truly that nothing matters past regulation in the regular season, you've already secured a point. The overtime nihilists of the world, like, if you will. Then, then just go for it. Just go yeah. for it. Well, the, what, I, what I will say, though, is the, the, it doesn't matter right now, but – the standings are tightening up, right? It might those those points might matter if Colorado closes the gap, if Winnipeg writes the sh- writes the ship a little bit. Like there's there's some scenarios in which these these lost points come back to haunt, and and you know especially thinking about some recent Dallas Stars season. Thank goodness that they're uh, they've been able to win as much as they did, especially early. Now I do want to segue a little bit, and, and you know the points they they won the shootout last night. This is a team now that has one regulation win. And that was the game on the eighth against Minnesota, four to one. They've got one regulation win this month with, of course, that that could change after Vancouver tomorrow night. Um, one regulation win, two bonus time wins against Anaheim and Vegas, as we just mentioned. Otherwise, there there have been a lot of L's on the board. And it's it's some of them are of the Dallas Star classic moral victory, you know, like the Tampa, Tampa Bay and Boston specifically are, are sort of the yeah, but losses that I think we as a fan base sometimes fall into the habit of giving them credit for. Well, yeah, but they could have won, but they didn't. And then two of them are just guck fests against, you know, Columbus and Chicago, uh, in particular Chicago. And, and just I wanted to get your general temperature on what does this how we talked about the panic button last time. Where is your kind of stress stress level with this team right now? <laughs> my, I mean, my stress level is not terribly high just because I think they're in a funk right now. I think they come out of the funk. I think this uh, this new deal where they're picking up Dodonov uh, is is probably a really good deal. He has a has upside without long term downside. I I don't think it. It could possibly get worse than where they were with Gurionov. I think he fits a role, whether he's playing with Sagan or whether he's playing with Ben and Johnston. So Man. I think I think it just I, the ship will right itself. They're playing pretty good hockey. Uh, they have a solid goaltender. the The defense is not uh, what I would consider consider stellar, but it's 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 good enough to get there. So panic button is probably about a two right now. Now, let me amend it, and Taylor, then I, I want you to chime in, but I want to amend that very slightly, and I promise, listeners, we will get to the trade here in just a bit. But, Taylor, I want to, I'm going to ask you the same question, but I'm going to give you one more piece of data to make, you know, to emphasize how much smarter you are than Mark, I think. But, you know, this is a Dallas team, as we mentioned. They've got three wins in their last 10, though, three, three, and four. All of a sudden, the Wild, six, two, and two. The Avalanche, seven, one, and two. You know, Vegas, six, one, and three. LA, five, three, and two. So while Mark is saying he's not panicked, 
For me, it is difficult to look at the Western Conference standings and see Dallas multiple wins beneath the trend line that the teams around them are throwing up right now. So, you know, with that in mind, where where are you in terms of of stress level and worry? I'm very much not worried. I'm going to be honest. You know, I Is it just cuz you're chasing this whole zen lifestyle thing? <laughs> it's a good lifestyle. She's just grooving out. My life is stressful enough right now. I don't need to add to it. Um, No, I just, I think people, it's really easy to forget how much of a grind an 82 game regular season is. And, and I like, this is not even comparable, but I'm sitting here going, man, Dallas has home games on Monday and Wednesday. And then they play like at home on Saturday I have to go down to the arena three times this week. That's a lot of time and a lot of just energy and mental effort. And take that and times it by like a million when you're the one actually playing the game and the points actually do matter to you. I think every team goes through this. Some people do it early in the season and they build themselves such a hole that they can never get out of it. At least this time, Dallas managed to build themselves up enough to be able to ride this out and and not have to hit the panic button. I just, I kind of look at it and I feel like the shooting percentage can't possibly stay this low as a team. The power play percentage cannot stay as bad as it has been since the start of the year. They are way bad. Way bad. Like, in my opinion, in a good way. And like, I, do I think that Mason Marchment never scores a goal again this season? No. Like, that has to come to an end at some point. Do I think Joe Pavelski goes another 16, 17 games without scoring? No. So, like, I just I just look at it and go, all the pieces seem to be there for them to turn it around really quickly. And, you know, I think part of it is just it's the grind of the season. It's probably that point in the year where the schedule's been a little whack. They've played a lot of road games, and then they had this, like, stretch of home games, and I think that's a little off offsetting um, or a little, like, and kind of throw you a little bit when you're kind of in that groove of, well, we're on the road all the time. I don't know. I'm, I'm not really all that concerned. I think I'm probably somewhere I'm, – I'm a little bit higher up on the concern ladder than than the two of you, but I got to say I'm not incredibly so. I the The thing that is worrying me – is that there have been some real a combination of gut punch losses, you know, Tampa Bay being that, and then some tepid play. Like the 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 back-to-back losses to Columbus and Chicago really, really stung me a little bit. And for me, it's less that it, it just emphasizes this team has been getting by all season. They've been incredibly healthy. Their top end has been incredibly productive. Their goaltender has been fantastic. And it has papered over the fact that there really are some issues in the middle six of this roster, right? Take the, you know, where where would the stars be without the Benessons, right? So what worries me is less that there's been a spate of bad results recently. What worries me more, and we're going to use this, there's, there's a segue coming, uh, ladies and gentlemen listening at home, but there's what worries me more is that this it's a, this stretch of play is a reminder that that for all of the for all they've achieved and for as well as most of the season has gone, this is still a team with flaws. And I know we made light earlier of the the comments about needing to to be harsher and and you know not give the team as 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 covering media right, not give the team as much much credit. This is this to me is the perfect example of do we consider the stars to be a contender or not? And if the answer is that we don't, then seasons have ups and downs 
82 games is a grind. The power play is going to come back around. All, all the things that you just said, Taylor, and, and you're right, right? There, there are a lot of reasons to say that this thing's going to snap back. The regression monster is going to make an appearance and they're going to go on another run. Where I have trouble and where I'm a little bit different is if we are treating this team like a contender, right? Like a team that really should and does have legitimate postseason aspirations, the power play isn't good enough. Mason Marchman hasn't scored a goal since I don't even remember at this point, right? There are there are some things going on on this roster right now that that you know if this is a team that is going to to make noise and and if this is a team that demands our attention in that way that just flat aren't good enough and need to get fixed. And I don't like the answer being it'll probably work itself out, right? That that's kind of where I land on the worry scale, which I think is very reasonable. But on, on the other hand. What I'm looking at is a team that, if things fall the right way, even without changing anything, has what I would consider to be a not unreasonable chance of making it to the Stanley Cup final. And we can have a separate conversation at some point about if they do get that far, whether this lineup is just not going to get their doors blown off. But on the other hand, there's not a whole lot in the Western side of the, of the NHL that is heads and shoulders above where Dallas is. Dallas very easily could just power their way all the way through. And I mean, they might, especially if you track player migration patterns. It seems like all the, the big... Every, everybody's moving east. Yeah. Every, all the talent's moving east. And and the thing is, with, with Dallas and their development curve and what Jim Nill has set up with with, with where the prospects are coming in and where the core of the team is, do you really want to sacrifice any of that in order to put your, you know, is one player going to make you a favorite playing against Boston if you make the Stanley Cup final? I don't think so. Yeah. Let's, and I, I love that question. I'm, I'm going to use that, Mark, I'm going to hijack and use that question to bring Taylor back into the conversation. Taylor, given the, the long-term prospects of this team, is it worth doing something making a big move, making a, you know, is there, is there one guy that, that is, that this team could get that would put them into the Boston Tampa, you know, conversation? No, I think they already have that guy. His name is Jake Ottinger. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, the goaltending effort. He's good, man. He's really good. And here's, he's so good. Here's, here's what I see. Yes. It is a flawed roster in front of Jake Ottinger, but I also see a goaltender that ramps his game up so much. He plays otherworldly in yep. these big high pressure games, Tampa, Boston, Vegas, Vegas on Saturday night. Like he wants to be the villain and he wants to beat the favorited teams. And I think all else being equal, your goaltender could absolutely steal it for you in that regard. And I also just kind of look at how soft the West is, yep. like Mark was saying, and like he was saying about the assets coming up and the pipeline that's been built of this prospects and everything else. And I just don't know if I'm on board with this being the year to push all of your chips in because – I do actually see a pathway. I mean, like when I was in Vegas, there were Vegas Golden Knights fans sitting directly behind me that said, oh, we're just watching the preview of the Western Conference Finals. There is a widely held belief that Dallas could get at least that, that far. And 
all else being equal, I like Jake Ottinger's chances in that kind of series. I mean, there isn't, it, depending, it, it depends on the, on the Avalanche's, I guess, injury situation. If they can get in, if they can get healthy at some point, maybe this changes. But I do think you're, you're right in that there isn't a, there isn't a fire wagon in the Western Conference. There, there are good teams, but none of the elite teams in the Western Conference are top to bottom the same sort of, you know, without flaw construction as some of the stuff that, that you see in the East. So I, I think you're right. There is a path. This is, and this is a good year to not, this this isn't the year to sacrifice Logan Stankoven or Thomas Harley or, you know, Maverick Bork even on the altar of let's get one body that all of a sudden makes us a favorite because you're I think the Ottinger factor is is I think that's a wonderful, um, wonderful observation that that kind of is the stars X factor. There's nobody they're going to get in the market that's going to swing the variability of this team more than he does already. And I think back to a comment when Chicago was in town, Patrick Sharp was up in the press box and we were just kind of casually chatting. And He actually mentioned how he credited Jim Nill with not just blowing up the team after that really bad season when Sharp was here and they missed the playoffs. And I was like at the end of Lindy's like run or whatever. And basically he talked about how that kind of vote of confidence has helped them to maintain this kind of playoff yearly appearance, you know, favorites or whatever. I thought that was really interesting. And I do kind of look at this and I say, I just don't know if the patience of Jim Nill is tested to the point where he says now's the time to go. It is. It's classic. This is this really amuses me as well, because if if you had, you know, we get into a time machine, we go back to before the season starts and we talk to Taylor, you know, back in July and say, hey, Taylor, in in February, you know, February 26th, people are going to be bitching because the stars are still still top of the central division, second in the conference. But they've lost a couple. Of, you know what I mean? Like this is this is currently a result that given the expectations and where where fans thought this team was heading into the season, I think. It, it, we would all have taken it in a heartbeat, but it's a testament to how well the early parts of the season went. That now we're we're a bunch of angry, you know, shouty McShouderton's wondering, you know, why everything isn't perfect and beautiful. Why do they have to ever lose? I guess is my problem. I'd be much happier if Dallas just went eighty-two and zero, and then won won the Stanley Cup. Then there'd be nothing to. I, honestly, we'd probably still complain. There'd probably some somebody would be looking at Heiskanen's ice time. And power and suitors minutes on the power play and still pissed if we're eighty two and zero. They go eighty two and zero. They get swept in the first round. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> this this lady Dallas stars is she knows her deal. A message from the attorneys at Greening Law PC, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. If you have been hurt in a car accident, experienced malpractice from a physician, hospital, or were injured on the premises of a business, then call the lawyers at Greening Law. They have represented clients from car accidents to birth injuries to sexual assault cases involving clergy or hospitals. The staff at Greening Law, better known as the Green Team, fights your legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. You know, we talk a lot on this podcast about our fierce Dallas stars. The Green Team is your fierce legal competitor against insurance companies. So what are you waiting for? Consultations are free. They only get paid if you get compensated. So give them a call at 972-934-8900. Again, that number is 972-934-8900. Call now. Principal office is located in Dallas, Texas. Like you need a little adversity. You've got to you've got to go through some stuff to to kind of prove to yourself, to prove to your teammates that, you know, you guys are going to come together and you're going to be able to work through things. Yeah. I do think that's a big part of building a team and 
hockey is a team sport. And you know, what's really interesting to me, and I don't think it gets talked about enough at the trade deadline, because you always want to be the team getting the sexy new, uh, you know, hot, hot man of the moment. Um, right. Always want new hotness. New hotness. Um, but yeah, like there is a balance that is, has been made, has been kind of found in the locker room, right? There's a closeness with the team, you know, there's that, that sense of we've gone through some things and, you know, we've had great successes. We've had really, you know, shit losses and we've held each other accountable. And so we've built this trust amongst each itself, et cetera. Yeah. So like I, 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 it's, it's kind of curious because I think we have seen teams that have acquired big names at the trade deadline and it doesn't really change their trajectory and you don't really know why, but I do wonder if, you know, sometimes upsetting the apple cart, so to speak, by bringing in somebody who maybe doesn't mesh well in the room could be just as detrimental to your team as not acquiring a piece to help you. Yeah, it's part of the alchemy. I mean, you know, Dallas once upon a time went out and got the likes of of Pierre Turgeon and Jason Arnett and and Donald Audette, right? And not not all of those deals worked out. But one deal has been made. And speaking of the team, and, and Dallas has decided to uh, send Denis Gurionov to Montreal in exchange for Evgeny Dadnov. And uh, to the best of my knowledge, Dadnov has agreed and he'll be coming to Dallas. There's no uh, Anaheim-like shenanigans this go-round. But, um, you know, I, I, what's, what is your, and Mark, we'll, we'll pull you back in, what was your knee-jerk reaction to, to seeing this trade come across? I mean, I like it. Uh, Dadnov has, has been able to pretty much put up numbers, whether he's wanted or not, in, in pretty much any place he's been over the last five years, which has been pretty much one place every year. You know, I, I guess the big question mark for me is why does he have a different team every year? And, you know, sometimes that stuff just happens. I, he, he's a skilled forward. I think if you're looking for somebody who's going to be able to fit in on either the Ben line or the Sagan line, he fits that bill. He can play right wing, which is what Gurianov was, uh, was going to be doing. And he's running on a pretty low PDO for the year. He's been playing for a pretty bad team. I think he's fully motivated to put up some numbers here at the end of the year to uh, either get a contract for next year with Dallas or wherever he's going to go. Yeah, so I mean, I, I think there's it's a it's a no lose situation. Yeah, and that's that's to me. I remember seeing it and was originally, you know, I, I remembered him from the the forgetting to check his no trade list incident the last time he was traded. But you know, going and actually looking at his numbers, you're you're bang on. He's you kind of have to separate in evaluating this trade. You have to separate the guy that we all hoped that Guryanov would be from the guy that Guryanov actually is, right? And the reality is, Dadnov has you know he's got four goals and fourteen assists, eighteen points. Well, that I'm playing on a bad. Uh, Canadiens team. That's that's more than that's twice as many points as Dennis Gurionov has played this season. Furthermore, right there's been one season since I think 2012 where and it was the the lockout shortened season is the only time Dennis Gurionov outproduced any of the seasons that um, Dadnov. So that season Dadnov had 20 points, 13 and seven. And other than that, it's been, you know, 65, 70, 47, 43, you know, numbers that, that Gurionov has never really brushed, right? He's, he is a 
consistent 20 goal guy that that will likely slot comfortably into that that kind of flex six role in the gut and will probably take some of the pressure off of Mason Marchment, which might help get him going again. It'll give you know it'll give you a, a weapon to put with with Sagan that that maybe isn't Radic Foxa. Right. So, yeah, I, I saw a lot of this. And, and, you know, in terms of the cap, I think Montreal's retaining 50 percent. So cap hit, I think it's two point five million. Pretty much a wash with what Grianov was making. He's 33. So this isn't a long term move. Our contract expires at the end of the season. So no no real exposure here. And given that this really this is a signal that Dallas has has kind of weighed, measured and thought about Dennis Grianov and they're just kind of kind of done with it. Right. So. From that measure, I think this was just a let's move on. Let's get somebody that might actually help us. Uh, I think that that was your mentality of your star's leadership. You can you can see why they do this, I guess, is my my long winded point. And it's just good asset management. I mean, I'm going to be real. Uh, I think that the biggest issue with Gurionov is more the price point at which he is currently signed. And as a restricted free agent in the upcoming offseason, he has to be qualified. I believe it would have been 2.9 million would be what they'd have to qualify. Well, he's at 2.9. Oh, so, yeah, so it's a little right. north of that. Yeah. 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 So it's like 100. You have to qualify. To, I believe in uh, I could be completely wrong, but I believe it's 110 percent. So you're looking at 3.1 for a player that is not a $3.1 million player. So Dallas did what they could to get some kind of asset back and get themselves out from under having to qualify Brianna and not getting anything in return. And like you said, they didn't take on some long-term contract to make this happen. They brought in a guy that they thought could help them in the immediate short term. Dadanov is, you know, Pete DeBoer had him on his Vegas team last year, so he's at least familiar with him. So he's got to see something that maybe fits in with some of the pieces he has here. And like you said, it's not a long-term commitment. So if it fizzles, which it could, um, realistically, you kind of only have anywhere to go but up when you've got a guy who only scored twice in the games that he appeared in. And, I mean, even if... Dadanov only scores one time in a Stars uniform. That's basically the same output they were going to get. Yeah, and your point about DeBoer, right? So as a Las Vegas gold, uh, as a Vegas Gold Knight, um, Dadanov had 20 goals and 23 assists in 78 games. And if if you can inject a you know point every other game ish level player into this Dallas forward lineup, you could really start to see some um, magnifying effects like that. That is a significant addition to this group. So I think it, it uh, the asset management, you know, it makes a ton of sense. The really the only way this can go bad, right, is if Dennis Gurionov goes to Montreal and finally gets that extent, you know, the the apologist, he finally gets that extended run on an injury depleted team and never leaves the lineup or the power player. You know, if he if he blows up, then sure. But I just see, but where's the where's what suggests what suggests that that's going to happen? I hate that mentality, though, because I think that it has been several seasons under several coaches. He has gotten the opportunities. He's never quite grasped them. I think this is very much a situation where the player could probably do with a change of scenery, a change of voice, a change of leadership around him. You know, looking at different guys and how they do things. I mean, you got to remember that 
the Stars roster is largely unchanged. And so if, you know, if the mentors on the team haven't been able to get through to him either, as well as the coaching staffs, I mean, maybe by going to a different country, a different city, and seeing Mar- Marty St. Louis and the way that he teaches, you know, maybe there's something that will ultimately click with him, but it was never going to happen here. So, yeah, go off. You know what? I hope he does. Well, well, that's that's the whole point right there. It's like he he's in the East, so who cares? And he's a great <laughs> right? guy. He, he's a great guy. I hope he goes off. I mean, this isn't even like a Val Natushkin thing where he's with Colorado. So it's like, God help us. He's gone off, but it's going off at us. Gurry, Gurry, go for it. I, I hope I hope St. Louis just gets gives him something that makes it all click and, and that he turns into a great guy. Yeah, there's a human. The the uh, the the conference bit's a good point, and at Taylor, you're a bit about every chance. Like on the human side, yeah, I hope I hope this is a you know I hope this is Shushkin part two, and he figures it out and moves along and um, has a productive and lengthy career as a result of of this. But I do think it's at the same time fair to say that wasn't going to happen in Dallas. It just wasn't. Now, do either of you think there is more to come from the Stars in terms of the uh, the trade deadline? Is, is anything else coming in? I'm sure they'll make some kind of minor move. Uh, I do also wonder, you know, if they've got, you know, at this time of year, you you have to remember that teams are also looking at their AHL team and figuring out what they might need. I think Texas is in a good spot to potentially make a deep run at the, in the Calder race. So. Oh, I saw them just curb stomp Bakersfield Saturday night. They looked fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I think there's still something. I, I don't know if it's a major something, but I do think they'll, they'll do something. I I think they've probably made their quote unquote big move um, at this point, but Jim Nell also plays his cards really close to his vest. And some, I, it could be midnight and we could hear that Dallas has, you know, acquired the top defensive free agent on the market for all I know. Yeah. Well, and I, I'm, I'm going to just jump right out there. I mean, this is the <laughs> ideal point is like, this is, this is John Klingberg right here. Oh, Buy an asset who's low. Anaheim has no idea what they have with Klingberg. His statistics are miserable, and, and he deserves all of them because Anaheim doesn't know how to use him. They don't have anybody who knows how to tip the puck. They, have him, they, they don't even have him on the number one power play. This is buying an asset low who can just come into this lineup, and even if he doesn't work out, don't do anything with him. Ugh. You're going to play be... Joel Hanley in the playoffs anyway, so get over it. I mean, I, and... I you, you, all you had me at going to play Joel Hanley. I, the, the salary cap retention to make that work would makes my head. So you'd probably need a second team to help launder some of that seven million dollar contract. A, a, a little bit, but if you wait till the trade deadline, it's not that much. And, and to tell you the truth, the, the the difference in what they got with the Donov and. Uh, and sending Gurianov around uh, away is probably enough to deal with it. Again, I have to do the math to look at that. But Klingberg is all upside at this point. And worst case scenario is you don't play him, and yeah. and he's done at the end of the year. And and on the other hand, I, I think we've seen evidence with the power play that that Miro, as as good as he is, is not a creative force on the power play. And and that's something that you can do to unlock a significant amount of scoring opportunity. 
Taylor, thoughts? Maybe they bring, you know, I also keep thinking that maybe once the trade deadline passes and they have, you know, a little bit more accrued salary cap space, I do wonder if they do an addition internally. I, I, I've been banging the Thomas Harlow. He's ready. He yep, looked he's po- ready. poised. This He would be a shot in the arm to this unit. Like, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I don't know what they'd need to do salary-wise, contract-wise, waiver-wise to make it work. Like, I don't know how that would m- mechanically function. But in terms of just, you know, skaters on the ice, Thomas Harley is ready for an extended, meaningful look at the NHL level, in my opinion. He was really good against Bakersfield and the, the couple times I've been out and, and been able to see Cedar uh been able to see the Texas Stars he's been fantastic he's just he, he's an NHL player playing in the AHL like that, that's just it that's what he is right now yeah I mean I would it wouldn't surprise me if maybe that's what I think that they're kicking around I do think that they're looking at all of the different options that could be out there and I do I do wonder if maybe it's hardly time after the deadline yeah I mean the, the only question I have is you bring Harley up what do you do with the rest of the lineup? And you're going to have to make a decision that is going to be not necessarily popular in the room, or I, I don't even know if popular in the room is the right way. You're going to have to make some hard choices in order to get him ice time. Yeah, the plus side about waiting to the deadline, though, is you have, if if you go that route, you've got ample tape and ample data to look at and point to and say, you know what, this is why we're making that hard choice. I mean, yeah, and also, like, I don't know. Maybe they just go 11-7 for the rest of the year, and they play Harley as a hybrid forward defenseman. Not saying yeah. that's ideal, but... Or, or you bring up Riley Barber and you just score goals. Yeah, that's, I mean... Is he under contract with the Dallas Stars or is he a Texas Stars guy? Yeah. Oh, he's, he's, got a, he's got an NHL contract. Okay. Well, it, it'll be interesting, and we're going we're gonna to touch base a little bit later this week to get into the specifics of the trade deadline. But there was the one deal to talk about. Um, Again, Vancouver tomorrow night. It'll be interesting. They should, you kind of, it would calm a lot of nerves for them to treat the Vancouver Canucks in the same way that so many other teams have treated the Vancouver Canucks. And then honestly, looking looking at the Dallas Stars schedule, the next couple, they've got Vancouver, Vancouver, Arizona, Chicago. And the Arizona, Chicago is of course a back to back. So, It'd be real nice to get a a three game palate cleanser before heading into uh, or before hosting Colorado on the fourth. Um, that's an early matinee on Saturday, right? That that game's going to matter. So we will see. You, you gotta hope that that we see a, a inspired and motivated Stars team take care of business against some of the league's laggards. Especially, who knows if Patrick Kane will still be a Chicago Blackhawk by Thursday, right? So. Um, you gotta hope. You gotta hope we're gonna have a, a lot more to to look forward to as fans this week. But um, you know, I guess we're gonna have to see. Any any closing thoughts, Taylor Mark? When I was in Vegas, I have to tell you guys, their in arena presentation is so good. I think some teams need to take some notes off of things that they do very well there. Not seeing the kitschy stuff with the night and whatever, like that was cool. It's fine, but. The way in which they engage fans throughout the game during stoppages and stuff, top notch. If you've never been able to make it out there, I highly recommend it. Uh, also, I am super proud of Stars fans because there were a lot of you in Vegas, and it was very loud in there <laughs> when uh, Hints had that tying goal. And you know, I kind of looked around and I go, I was, I was. It, 
I don't know. It's been so long since I've actually sat in the bowl for a game. Maybe I just forget <laughs> what that's like. But it was a cool atmosphere. It's super fun. And also, according to um, my family member who I took out there, he went to Las Vegas for his first time. He likes our colors, but the Stars colors better, um, but thinks that the Knights logo is better. So right. <laughs> take of that what you will. But it was cool, and it was neat to be able to to go out there and uh you know take take in a game not in the press box for change i love it mark you i i'm at some point here we need to talk about uh the dallas media market tom galardi and and what's happened with the dallas morning news and the athletic and general coverage but that's probably for another day and it's probably not that not all that interesting to our to all of our listeners but there's some weird stuff going on, and I hope that we can fill fill our niche. I think that's a good way to put it. And for me, on my part, it's all it's all the on the ice stuff. I, I don't, you know, this this week, this week will go a long way to either inflaming or assuaging fears about where this team is trending. And I, I personally look forward to what should be a really fun game against Colorado on Saturday. So. Thanks both for your insights and information, KT, for stitching it all together in the background. Please do not forget to like us and download us and do whatever you need to do to send us positive feedback and reach out on the socials if you ever have any questions or anything you'd like us to cover. But uh, other than that, we'll see how things go against Vancouver, and we'll be talking a little bit later this week around the trade deadline and stretch run of the season. This podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal.